Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. President Trump's refusal to concede the presidential race, his unsubstantiated claims of election fraud, and his replacement of Pentagon officials with loyalists is drawing comparisons to actions by authoritarian leaders. We'll talk with Stanford political scientist and former ambassador to Russia, Michael McFaul, about threats to American democracy and a peaceful transfer of power. Then, facing losses of $2 million a week in fares and tolls, The Golden Gate Bridge Highway and Transportation District will vote Friday whether or not to raise the toll for the Golden Gate Bridge by $2. We'll get the details on the financial crisis at the agency and how it might affect service and jobs. That's all next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Most world leaders have now accepted Joe Biden as the winner of the presidential election, and among those who have not are Russia's Vladimir Putin and North Korea's Kim Jong-un. As the Trump administration and Republican leaders continue to contest the election without evidence and block Joe Biden's transition, critics say they've embraced the tactics of those authoritarian leaders and have turned their backs on democracy. Joining us to talk about the threats to democracy and a peaceful transfer of power is Michael McFaul former U.S. ambassador to Russia and director of the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford. And Ambassador McFaul, welcome to the program. Zdravstvoy. Zdravstvoy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we don't get to use our Russian much, so when I have you on, I welcome that opportunity. Also, always welcome the opportunity to talk to you. I guess I'd like to stop with one of these good news, bad news things. Uh, The good news is that your bet noir, uh, Vladimir Putin, Despite all the troll farms and maybe the efforts to disseminate information about fraudulent mail-in ballots, uh, did not seem to make that much of a uh, penetration into the election from all accounts. But at the same time, the bad news is that we're seeing an attempt to delegitimize the election and uh, really politicize the State Department and gut the DOD, um, weaponize the DOJ. We're seeing autocratic uh, behavior on the part of our president. Yeah, that's right. But I I do think we should start with the good news. I'm glad you said that, Michael, uh, because in the run up to this election, uh, we 
you know, my community, people at Stanford that study these things, the U.S. governments, Homeland Security, uh, there were just a myriad of issues that were on the table that were frightening uh, for us to be able to con uh, conduct a free and fair and healthy election uh, devoid of foreign interference. Um, and it is a miracle that that happened. I really want to stress that if you think about the pandemic, all the states that had to move to using mail ballots, uh, providing safety for your health to vote in person on the fly, uh, the private sector actually helped to do that in many states around the country. Uh, there were threats of violence that were going to happen at the polling stations foreign interference, Russia at the top of that list, but also Iran and China, and you know worries about hacking on election day, that there might be that kind of interference. And it was just a, an incredible democratic achievement that none of those nightmare scenarios happened. And I just wanna first give a shout out to everyone in every state, every poll worker, every attorney general, uh, Homeland Security, uh, Chris Krebs over there at Homeland Security, uh, the social platform, uh, media platform companies. I think they did a tremendous job in letting the will of the people be expressed directly uh, on the run up to Election Day and now the count. So that's the well, good news. All those that's kudos notwithstanding, though, we now have a situation where we have a president uh, who's acting a little bit more like uh, Lukashenko or Putin or one of these dictators, uh, Mugabe, uh, trying to essentially deny uh, the election's legitimacy. That's right. And I was just going to get to the, the threat to democracy didn't come from the outside. It came from inside the White House. Uh, all those things are happening. Uh, I find it very uh, disturbing. I'm very confident that that uh, President-elect Biden will be President Biden. I, I don't see any circumstance under which uh, President Trump can hold on. And that's because he may have the aspirations and proclivities of a guy like Lukashenko or Mugabe, but he, de he doesn't live in a dictatorship. We're a democracy and I'm, I'm quite confident that our democratic institutions uh, will prevail. Having said that, he's doing damage to those democratic institutions uh, by holding on the way he is in two ways. One, he is fueling a perception, a misperception, let me speak more precisely, that this was not a free and fair election. And that means that millions of Americans are going to believe that President Biden is not the legitimate president of the United States. And that's bad for American democracy, uh, no matter you know, what, what uh, uh, political party uh, you are a member of. And number two, that's good for our enemies, right? That's exactly what Vladimir Putin wants. That's exactly what they, our, our competitive autocracies want. You know, when I was ambassador, I used to have to argue all the time with the Russian government and Russian media about whether we had a real democracy or not. And that was several years ago. Um, this fuels that fire, right? It says, okay, actually America has no moral standing, that they don't really have a democracy. And whether he under, he's doing it on purpose or not, I, I'm going to be hopeful that he's not. But inadvertently, President Trump is playing right into those narratives that people like Vladimir Putin uh, propagate. Well, in fact, you were quoted in today's New York Times as saying this is a parting gift to autocrats throughout the world by President Trump. That's right. I mean, most autocrats in the world, President Trump, for whatever reason, has embraced, uh, whether it's Russia, uh, Saudi Arabia, North Korea, 
Um, the case I know the best, of course, is Russia. It's It's been strange. It's been odd for four years. He's wanted to befriend Vladimir Putin. Uh, and so on his way out, this is a gift to all of those folks on that list. Um, uh, you know, the last thing he's going to do for autocracy. But make no mistake, uh, it'll end. Uh, you know, January 20th, we'll have a new president. And, and I worked with the vice president at the White House for three years, uh, five years, if you count my time in Moscow. I've traveled with him to Moscow and other places in the world. Uh, he will not be seeking to befriend Vladimir Putin or other autocrats. He'll deal with them pragmatically, but he will bring back a commitment to defending human rights, democracy, and the rule of law around the world. Well, it's heartening to hear your optimism because there are a lot of people who are writing and suggesting that perhaps a coup is in the works here. And uh, I know actually you're on record as saying that people like uh, Mike Pompeo or Bill Barr are actually playing Trump. Uh, McConnell and uh, Lindsey Graham are playing Trump. Uh, they really believed uh, that the kind of illegitimacy that he's been arguing were true. They'd be a lot more uh, outraged and they would express that outrage more rhetorically. I think that's what you've said, hasn't it? That's right. And, and you, you, they're playing this subtle, cute game. And I want to be clear, I don't appreciate the, the subtle, cute game they're playing. I think it undermines the legitimacy of, of President Biden's free and fair victory in this election, a landslide victory, by the way. He's ahead by five million votes, I think, you know, 55,000 plus in Pennsylvania. This is not a close election by any shape or form. Um, but if you, look at, if you look at Barr's letter, uh, he's very clear about it, the attorney general. He says, if there is uh, uh, evidence that could overturn the result in a state, then it should be investigated. Well, guess what? There's no evidence even close to that so far, and there, will, there won't be. So he's basically very cleverly in his, his lawyerly way saying, well, of course, we should look at all these problems. But the coda to that is there are no real problems. Same with Secretary of State Pompeo. Again, I didn't appreciate his snarky comment the other day, but it was a snarky one. He said it with a smile on his face. If he really believed it, he would be expressing outrage and, and this is crazy and that we are not going to let the you know this election be stolen from us i mean you know I, you know i watch a well, lot excuse of me forgive me ambassador i just want to let listeners know what that snarky comment was he said you know we'll have a good transition to a second uh, term for president trump yes yes and by the way i think he's already corrected the record today because i think he may have realized it was too snarky uh, but remember that this is this is where i take where i'm optimistic um none of these people when they speak about it speak about it with any passion they always talk about the legalistic uh, things that should happen, the recount. Um, yeah, and that, I think, underscores that at the end of the day, they, they all understand there's no case here. Uh, but they're afraid, for whatever reason, uh, to tell that to the president personally. And in prolonging this process, I think that does damage to you know, the, the legitimacy of our electoral process. And what about, uh, well, the shakeups in the Pentagon? I mean, he seems to be yes. installing loyalists to get the military on his side. Well, that worries me. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, uh, it's wrong. Again, I just think it's, it, it cuts against our traditions. Uh, this is the time when the Pentagon should be meeting with the transition team uh, from uh, Biden, uh, you know, the Biden uh, transition team. I, I worked on the transition in 2008 for uh, President Obama. 
And it's a vital, important time for, uh, where they interview people. They, they get up to speed on all the policy issues. And instead, he just threw out all those people that would be the most useful people for the transition. Um, you know, I don't want to speculate about what are the causes. You know, some people say it has to do with previous grievances. And, and of course, we know President Trump is somebody who keeps gr uh, grudges. Uh, others have speculated that he wanted to pull our troops out of Afghanistan, and Secretary Esper said no. Uh, I also am optimistic that those four uh, unconfirmed people appointed for 70 days or whatever's left uh, do not have the capability to orchestrate a coup d'etat. I, you know, I see people worrying about that on my Twitter feed, and and I just want to remind everybody: we are not Russia, we're not we're not the Belarus, we're not Zimbabwe. Uh, the, the, the military, you know, like all of us in government, uh, the, we all took an oath of office to defend the Constitution, not to defend uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and I just, it's just really hard for me to uh, imagine the scenario under which the military would somehow be politicized to help him hold on to power. Our guest is Michael McFall, political scientist, director of the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford and former U.S. ambassador to Russia. I want to give you, our listeners, an opportunity to talk with Ambassador McFall or to express your own opinions here and bring any questions or concerns you have about the transfer of power, which we are focusing on. You can give us a call now at our toll-free number. That number is 866-733-6786. Please feel free again to join us toll-free, 866 733-6786. And you can also, of course, get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. We're coming up uh, on a quick break here, but I just want to get your thoughts about Esper, since you mentioned him, the Secretary of Defense, and uh, his being fired, because uh, in many ways he was against uh, declassifying information about Russia, and there's a big battle going on. Trump wants that made public because uh, he thinks it will rebut his uh, claims of Putin support in the election back in 2016 but uh he's got people like uh well gina haspel for that matter cia director uh now possibly uh on the string here for a firing as well who are opposed to that for reasons uh, uh that have to do obviously with method and sources and the like right. i want to get to that question with you ambassador uh, but we do have to cut away for a minute and uh when we come back we'll also hear from you our listeners uh much more to talk about with ambassador michael mcfall he's with us for the hour and uh let me just read a comment from Linda who says, I certainly hope your guest is right. I've managed to get through the last four years with my stress under control, but his annex giving me panic attack. January 20th cannot come soon enough. More when we return. Um, stay tuned. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about threats to democracy and the peaceful transfer of power, what we hope will be an ongoing peaceful transfer of power with Ambassador Michael McFall. And I mentioned that uh, President-elect Biden can't even get congratulations from heads of state, uh, let alone daily briefings. Uh, 
I wanted to mention the fact that uh, James Lankford, uh, Senator, Republican Senator of Oklahoma, has said that he will, if necessary, step in. He's a Republican and get those briefings for the president-elect. But I asked before we went to the break, uh, Michael McFall, about this threat of declassifying information about Russia. It's a it's a battle, too, that's going on. And I think uh, listeners probably want to know more about it. What's your take? Yeah, in many ways, I think this is the, the most disturbing um, potential damaging thing that can happen during the transition. Uh, there, there seems to be a battle underway. I'm worried about what will happen over at CIA and whether Ms. Haspel will keep her job or not, uh, because there does seem to be a movement afoot from the White House to try to declassify information, uh, especially related to what happened in 2016 with the Russians. Um, and I just think that would be a giant mistake the politicization of secret uh, and intelligence is wrong. Uh, I'm against it when it's happened, when people have leaked to the press about President Trump. I want to be on record to say that. I just think it undermines the integrity of what our intelligence community does. Um, and in the long run, it can, it can literally endanger uh, people that work on behalf of the United States government abroad to try to gather this kind of intelligence. And so I just would hope that, that cooler heads will prevail uh, and that we won't go on this, you know, this vendetta spree for the next 70 days. Because, of course, when it, when it, if it would happen, uh, President Trump and those around him would just cherry pick. They wouldn't, they wouldn't tell the entire story, of course. They would just declassify things that would be in their own individual personal interests. And that is the... <laughs> you just can't do that in the United States of America. That's, that's just not who we are. We, that is what autocracies do. That's exactly what Putin does. He gathers information uh, to, to punish his political opponents. We, we've got to be better than that. And let me go to our callers, and we begin with Denise from Sacramento. Join us, please. You're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Ambassador. Um, you mentioned the actions or silence of those around President Trump that's damaging our democracy. In the near future, let's say one to three years, what can be done and who can do what to uh, mitigate that damage? A good question, Denise, and thank yeah. you for it. There's a lot more damage that can be done, especially to national security before Trump leaves on January 20th. Ambassador McFall? Well, it is a great question. And I, and I want to be clear, uh, we have democracy and in the United States, according to multiple uh, non-governmental organizations and academics that measure these kinds of things, has been eroding for several years now. Uh, and, and Freedom House, if you're interested, go Google the, the word Freedom House and look up our ratings. And it, it compares us to other democracies in the world. Uh, there are several others uh, I could mention, but Freedom House, I think, is a good one to start with. And you'll see we, you know, on many, many uh, d dimensions, we've been declining. Um, and uh, I'm optimistic that, that President Biden will stop that decline. I, I truly believe that. Uh, he's somebody, I, like I said, I know he believes in democracy. Uh, he believes in supporting democracy around the world. And I think right away he will use his executive orders um, to unravel what I consider to be anti-democratic executive orders the, uh, under the, the Trump administration. Uh, the more ambitious agenda, uh, unfortunately, I don't think will be as easy to do. It's, it's outlined in something called House Resolution 1. 
if you want to go look it up, I think there's some uh, really important democratic reforms uh, in that bill. And there was hope that if there was a Senate majority in the Senate, uh, that that may be one of the first orders of business for the new Biden administration. I guess now we'll have to wait to see what happens in Georgia. Uh, but that, I think, outlines just a series of, of reforms, democratic reforms that we need to do here inside our country. And for me, as, as somebody who focuses on foreign policy, I want to I be clear, there's a relationship between that. We cannot claim to be the leader of the free world if we don't get our own house in order first. Um, and so it has very direct implications uh, for our competition with China and Russia, for instance, uh, uh, to, to implement these democratic reforms at home. And so I'm confident Biden will do some immediate things. Uh, I'm a little less optimistic that the, the more the broader agenda will be um, uh, feasible in, the, in the, the future because I just don't think the Democrats will have the votes. Well, President-elect Biden is talking about doing certainly a lot of things to change the nature of foreign affairs. He's talking about getting back to the nuclear deal with Iran uh, and the climate accord and uh, not leaving the World Health Organization. I mean, so many things that have been identified with the yes. Trump administration, including uh, a, a greater commitment to NATO, uh, which Biden has called sacred. But I want to get you on record, Ambassador, if I could, by asking you about specifically what repair can be done with our allies and transatlantic relationships. They've gone terribly awry under the Trump administration, particularly because of trust being eroded over four years under Trump. It's going to be hard to reestablish that, especially in light of the fact that in dealing not only with Russia and China, but in light of the fact that uh, deals have been broken and they could be broken again four years later. Yeah, you're right, Michael. Um, I mean, first, I'm glad you, you started with the bigger uh, picture because um, without question, President Biden and his national security team, I mean, we don't know who they're going to be yet. They haven't been named, but I'll bet you I know every single one of them very close and personally, uh, Secretaries of Defense, State, National Security Advisor coming. Uh, and these are people committed to engagement. Uh, they're committed to multilateralism. Uh, they think that American participation uh, in multilateral organizations advances American national interests. And that's exactly the opposite of Trump and his withdrawal doctrine. So there's no question we will show up again and we'll be there. Uh, and with respect to NATO, uh, there's no institution uh, that is more important to President-elect Biden than NATO. Uh, he is a deep, committed transatlanticist. He's been dealing with the transatlantic partnership literally for decades of his career. Remember, not, not only did he have eight years as vice president in which he was in, you know, he was our point person for many uh, foreign policy issues. I think people need to understand that there was a division of labor between Obama and Biden. Um, and, you know, Biden was the guy that dealt with Ukraine and Georgia and Moldova. I went to all three of those countries with him, in fact. Uh, he was the person that went, he was the very first senior Obama administration official to travel abroad. He went to the Munich Security Conference, I think it was February 2009, and gave the major foreign policy speech for the entire Obama administration. Uh, so, so he's had eight years of already doing that. He also was our point person on Iraq, for instance. But then, you know, he was, a, you know, he worked, he was on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee for, for decades. So I don't think there's ever been a more qualified president with respect to foreign policy 
uh, starting on day one than, than president-elect Biden. Um, but you rightly pointed out, it's not enough just to show up again and, and you know, reset to go back for years. Uh, most certainly in European capitals. And, you know, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time in, in virtual European capitals these days on Zoom. Uh, uh, Michael, I was just in Moscow uh, 30 minutes ago uh, before joining you. Um, uh, but around in our allies, there there is this worry, just like you said, that, okay, we know we know Joe, he'll, he'll be back, but, but maybe America's changing. And there are isolationist um, tendencies within the Democratic Party, too. Um, and I think it's going to take some real hard diplomatic work to earn back uh, the trust of our allies. It, it just won't snap back automatically because uh, uh, Biden is in the White House. Again, our guest is Ambassador Michael McFaul. Let me bring another caller aboard here. Guy, you're next. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I know that uh, ex-presidents get top security briefings because sometimes they can offer a perspective to current presidents. Um, it's obvious that uh, President Trump uh, could and probably would use that information for some kind of personal financial gain based on his experience. I was wondering, is that, uh, is that a right to former presidents uh, enshrined in law or is that a courtesy? And if it is a courtesy, uh, what is the probability of that being withdrawn uh, specifically for top security uh, reasons? Ambassador McFall. Yeah, Guy, it's a great question. I don't know if it's law or courtesy. Uh, so I'll do some homework on that and um, um, I'll figure it out. I'll put it on Twitter. You can follow me at McFall and, and figure it out there. What I do know, because I, I lived through a transition and I have lots of uh, friends and former colleagues in the intelligence community, um, already uh, the kind of information that the intelligence community provides to the president, um, uh, they take great care to make sure that it's not spilling into conflict of interest, um, things that, that, you know, where they, they, they try to draw lines around that. And my suspicion, I can't, I don't know for sure, but my, my hunch would be that that would be um, part of the mission, most certainly. I mean, I, I do think that President Trump deserves the same courtesies of other presidents, if, that's, if it's a courtesy and not a law. Uh, I don't think he deserves uh, intelligence about countries where he has, you know, hotels and financial matters. Uh, that obviously... Uh, violates norms of conflict of interest. And, and I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that uh, the intelligence community, generally speaking, understands those norms. And most certainly, the leadership that I predict coming in to the intelligence community with President Biden will also respect those, uh, you know, those conflict of interest uh, problems. You were talking before, Ambassador, about the unlikelihood of a coup or anything even approaching that. Uh, but I wonder what you say to a listener named Penny who writes, every time Trump takes another step toward autocracy, we think it can't be as bad as it looks and Republicans will stop him. And every time it was and they didn't. Why, when he's taking all the moves toward a coup, should we think he doesn't mean it? Well, it's a good question. I, you know, I want to be clear. Maybe he means it. Right. I'm, I'm separating between intentions and capabilities. Uh, I don't I, you know, I don't know President Trump personally. I've never met him. I, I, I can't 
uh, claim that I can read his intentions, what his real intentions are. Maybe he's just raising money. Maybe he's just trying, he's playing for the future. Uh, you know, those are other theories that have been out there and that could be valid, but I can measure capabilities. Um, and he does not have the capabilities to orchestrate a coup. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time focusing on quiet Republicans. That's that's fair. I wish more spoke out. And by the way, I really want to applaud President Bush for speaking out the way he did. That is exactly what every other uh, Republican who values our Constitution should be doing now. Uh, that said, uh, they're not the only Americans in the United States. Uh, you know, I, by the way, I get a little worked up about uh, you know All we do is we talk about the grievances of the Trump voters. And I'd like to spend a little more time talking about the grievances of those that voted for uh, Vice President Biden, because their voice matters too. Uh, we have obsessed uh, for years, and we're still doing it, about you know this, this one group. And I just want to remind everybody that there's lots of people that, that don't sign up for that, that didn't vote for him. There are lots of governors, there are lots of attorney generals, there's lots of military people that will not go along with a coup d'etat. Uh, and, and, you know, we've never had it in our country. Uh, this is just, and, and remember one other thing. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to pretend I have a great insight into the, the Trump inner circles, uh, but there are very few people in the U.S. government that are really, you know, get up in the morning and say, I, I want to look for another way to extend Trumpism. Yes, there are some around him. We know their names. And, and, and there are a few uh, very senior people that, that embrace Trumpism in that spirit. But the vast majority don't. Uh, at least in my world, the national security world that I live in, uh, they don't think in those terms. And so when he calls over to the Pentagon to say, hey, you know, send some soldiers over to protect the White House, Who's going to answer that call? And even, even the person he put in as an acting secretary of defense, who's, you know, de jure is uh, the acting secretary of defense, de facto hasn't been confirmed by the Senate. You know, think about the, the, that person's, you know, limited abilities to do any of these. And again, I don't know what that person's intentions might be, um, but, but I, I do think the capabilities are very, very limited. There just aren't going to be people to rally uh, to do those kinds of crazy things. And one other thing I would say in, in, in the optimistic camp, I read like many others about all the violence that we were going to expect at the polls and all, you know, the proud boys and guns showing up and, and how horrible it was going to be. And that was a dog that didn't bark, folks. That didn't happen. That's a good sign. Uh, and I suspect, uh, you know, the coup attempt that we're now worried about, we need to be vigilant and we need this, this circus to end as soon as possible. But I, I'm confident in predicting that'll be another dog that doesn't bark. But you would concede that uh, over 70 million people voted for President Trump, and many of them are quite, uh, uh, well, to put it mildly, fanatic about uh, believing in him and believing when he says perhaps an election has been stolen from him. Well, let's, let's unpack that. Uh, that's a great analytic point that social scientists need to look at a lot more closely. Uh, does he have his fanatics that will support him and go to his rallies? That's absolutely true. We know them. We see them. Um, but we should not assume that every 70 million, all of those 70 million voters uh, are fanatics for Donald Trump. 
there were two candidates uh, on the ballot, a Republican and a Democrat. Lots of Democrats, uh, I know some of them, uh, went into the, you know, well, they didn't go in any, anywhere here in California. They, they mailed their ballot. They were not enthusiasts for Joe Biden. Uh, they think he's, uh, you know, uh, too conservative and, you know, have all kinds of complaints. But there's no way they were going to vote for, for Trump. Likewise, remember, most Americans, if you look at survey data, it's overwhelming. And I, and I highly recommend a book by uh, my colleague here at Stanford, Mo Fiorina, called Unstable Ma uh, Majorities. Most Americans on policy issues, not identity issues, but on policy issues are a lot more purple than they are deep red or deep blue. Um, and they're just not the kinds of people that are going to rally to a coup d'etat for, for President Trump. Uh, you know, I'm from Montana, Michael. I have, I have friends and f families and relatives that vo have voted for Donald Trump. Um, but, but yeah, I'd encourage, you know, Californians should go spend some time in places like Montana. I think you'll be shocked at just how actually for most Montanans, politics really doesn't matter that much. Number one, number two, uh, you know, my home state of Montana in 2008, 48% of Montanans voted for Barack Obama, 48%. So that should undermine some of your, you know, you, you know, your kind of conventional wisdom about uh, these people in these red states. And, and, you know, Steve Daines, my high school debate partner, by the way, uh, just squeaked out uh, an election victory against Senator Bullock, uh, Governor Bullock, uh, for a Democrat. Um, and I just think there's just not as much enthusiasm for for um, uh, extra constitutional politics, even among uh, the many millions of people that voted for Donald Trump. Oh, reassuring to hear your point of view there. Ambassador, always good to have you on. Thank you for joining us this morning. Yeah, thanks Ford. for having me. That's Michael McFall, and he is political scientist and director of the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford, former U.S. ambassador to Russia. We are going to break away very shortly uh, for about a minute or so. When we return, we're going to talk about the Golden Gate Bridge uh, Highway and Transportation District, which... Uh, well, it's running out of money, and what can be done about that? Stay tuned. That's up ahead. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.